How we doing? This is Rob Bolster with RBF Fitness and Nutrition. People upgrade their iPhones, they upgrade their Androids, they upgrade their laptops, but they're operating with the same brain that they operated with for the last decade. You should know the value that you bring to the marketplace. You know what your passion is. You know why you do what you do. So racism, it's out there, but it doesn't have to stop you. Just because somebody might look at you a certain way, that doesn't have to stop your forward progress. Where you have to eliminate the excuses. You gotta make that game plan say, for me to get to that point. All right, here we are. Happy Wednesday, hump day. Joining, not joining, I said joining too early. All right, so you guys know we keep the show. I am botching this intro big time, but that's okay. Because I have enough energy to bring it right back. All right, so yeah, so we keep the show motivational. See, and I have the words up on the screen now. See, so that takes away from, from the botching. Motivational, educational, entertaining, and transformational. We got to apply what we go through here in every single show. I bring on guests that share their life experiences to help you get through yours. So that's the purpose of this. I always say if people can spend an hour binge watching on Netflix, take an hour for your own personal development. Because what we're both going to share, well, my guest and I today, what we're both going to share are things that you can apply to your life today. Today. You don't need any special skills. We're not going to ask you to buy anything. Well, maybe maybe my guest book. But we're not going to ask you to buy anything. We want you guys to open up your mind, open up the heart, and just listen to what we are telling you. And as you're listening to us, don't just listen to us. See how you can apply it to you. Okay, so that's the purpose of listening to these things is to see what can you get out of it. Be selfish, okay? Dissect our brains, ask questions in the comment section, and see what you guys can pull from us, okay? That's how you're going to get the most out of this show, and then that's how you're going to step into your greatness, all right? So on today's conversation, this is episode number 53, I'm bringing in a man who beat addiction and through, through his journey, he had he had a discovery, and a discovery that he was meant for more. He was meant to be more. He wanted to do more. He wanted to impact more. And he took that tumultuous time, and now he's channeled his life to making other people better. And it's a perfect fit for this show because that's what we want to do. We want to make other people better. So I'm going to bring in Adam Chaka now to share his story. Adam, welcome to the show. Excellent. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So so just to share share with everyone else, he wasn't supposed to be on until like April or something. But the, the woman I was supposed to have on today, she's sick. So she canceled. And Adam and I had a call just to just to introduce ourselves to each other. And it just, lo and behold, I was like, you know, can you talk tomorrow? This was yesterday. And so here, here he is today. But we're going to keep him on in April anyway, because he has such a dynamic story. And it'll probably take two parts anyways. <laughs> so, all right. So for starters, just give everyone a quick background of just who is who is Adam Chaka. Yes, great. Thanks for having me. Um, so high school teacher, that's my day job, 15 years in the classroom. 
uh, wife and two kids. Uh, we live outside of Boston, Mass. And uh, yeah, I'm an artist. I'm a singer. I'm an author. Uh, um, and uh, this uh, now I'm I'm a new man after my my personal transformation. I had a good midlife crisis about five years ago. So <laughs> I'm sure we'll get into it. Thank yeah. you. Absolutely. Yeah, I think we all do at some point have that because like I had mine early. I was 32 when I had mine. The tail end, tail end of being a restaurant manager. I was like, I just, just can't do this anymore. It's like I'm, I, I, I was never at home as a young child, just dreaming of being a restaurant manager. Like I, I just wasn't. <laughs> you know, like I just knew I had bigger things that I wanted to accomplish. So let's go back to your childhood. So like, where were you born and raised? Like, what kind of things were you dreaming of doing back then? Yeah, sure. I, um, I was born in New York City first five years there and then uh the family moved to massachusetts and uh so i grew up in plymouth mass an hour south of boston that's where the pilgrims landed in 1620 <laughs> and, uh, um i kind of had a well, sort of normal childhood but uh it was around middle school where i started to you know think more and feel different and feel special but in a really good way so i got into music and theater and i had a good friend that got me into this fun little choir a boy's like a voice chorus in middle school and yeah. and the rest, the rest was history. I did theater and singing and dancing all through high school and all through college. And that was my major, a lot of fun. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that was probably a good positive outlet as well. Oh yeah, definitely. Cause it was, um, you know, it takes a lot of energy to be on stage in front of like all the parents and the, you know, for in your high school musicals, it's, you know, hundreds of people in the audience. And so it's, it was, uh, it was a great uh, productive thing to, you know, learn dance and singing and theater. And, and we just had a whole lot of fun. <laughs> what was your f- favorite part out of those three? Which one would you say was your favorite? Um, well, yeah, that's interesting you asked that because I feel like I'm getting back on that uh, uh, journey now. And that's part of my, like, this is what I need to do. So I'm getting back to performing. I, I did that after college and, that was the absolute favorite thing when you're on stage and you're with others and uh, and getting that audience laughter. I was, you know, I get my sense of humor from my mom. So God bless her. It's uh, it was just a lot of fun for me. It was a real electric, electric. Like it was like, like ah, that's a lot of fun. Let's do this. I <laughs> uh, love it. Yeah. And so what you said there, because as you know, I'm a storytelling coach. So like. As people talk, you know, I jot, I jot notes down. And the most powerful thing that you said there was, this is what I need to do, right? This is what I need to do. And I feel like that one sentence can change so many people's lives. Because I knew at the tail end of restaurant management, I had just started doing stuff with fitness. But it was just more so as a hobby. Like, it was never really supposed to grow. And then when I lost that job, I was like, you know what? I'm free. I was like, I'm free. Like I can, I can do this now. Like, cause that's what I wanted to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like that sentence right there, it's so key. And I feel like so many people get held back cause they don't know what they need to do. What are your thoughts on that? Yes, exactly. Another way to put it, I think is when I went through my midlife crisis, I learned uh, so much from Dr. Wayne Dyer and, uh, one of the lessons I learned is that it's important to go after what you really, really want. Uh, and so I'm doing that and it's, it's amazing. I'm on 
I'm on purpose now. It's like a life purpose. I mean, I was during the addiction, dealing with anxiety and depression, I was like stress level nine or 10 every day, like at a scale of zero to 10, one to 10, I was at a stress level nine, completely stressed out. And now I'm at stress, like stress level zero. I'm like, I wake up every day inspired and excited about my mission and my life. It's, I, I feel so blessed and so honored. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, let's, well, let's talk about, about that journey. So you're still in school, you're singing, dancing, uh, performing. So then just like walk me through the next steps. So what was the, what was the next phase from there? Yeah, well, I guess I'll mention some of the cha- changes that, you know, gave me the courage to do that was during college because I wasn't a theater major right away. I started off as a French major and I, I loved French in high school and um, did that for a year and then changed to a business major. And that was about half a year in college. So it wasn't until like the middle of my college where I had a um, revelation that oh man, I just, I really love the theater, the singing and dancing. I'm like, oh man, I feel like I got to do this. And I got to go to Broadway and try to be a Broadway star and singer, dancer, actor, and the Big Apple. And that's when the dream would really sparked like, oh, I need to do this for life. And so, yeah, that's when it happened. And, and then I followed in that path. So the five years after college, I was in New York City trying to be a Broadway star. Okay. All right. So, so now, so you're in New York City. And you're going after the dream. All right. So what happened next? Right. So that was a good five years of um, like smaller stuff, like um, acting companies and improv troupe and sketch comedy in like some basement bar and, uh, and off, 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 off Broadway, like, like not, not getting paid, you know, as an actor. So, so you had to have a day job and I was, I worked in the hotel industry and uh, anyways, the wife and I met, we got pregnant and it's hard to raise a baby in the city. So after five years in New York city, it was like, ah, I guess I felt the pressure to get a real job. And, and so that's when I went and became a teacher. So I've been a school teacher 15 years and, but the dream didn't die. I, I, I kind of thought I was maybe done with it. And I thought, can I, how can I ever get back? So it's only in the last few years where it's like, oh my God, I need to, I need to do this. I need to do this. Okay. All right. So now you made, you become a dad, you, felt pressured to get a real job. So you became a teacher. What was that transition like? Well, um, I, I was fine and okay and interesting because I, uh, it was more interesting than the being like a hotel front desk person. Cause it's kind of like the same thing every day. You just check in guests at the hotel. So yeah. it wasn't, you know, it wasn't creative or interesting. Whereas teaching, at least I realized, Oh, I could like, design a unit that's like a three-week unit and so we do lessons over three weeks and you know we're learning about some topic or subject and and it fit with my background at least because I spoke French and I learned some Spanish in New York City from um you know being in the hotel industry industry and uh and then I became an ESL teacher English as a second language so you know with languages and cultures it, it was very natural to me and uh and plus my mom was a flight attendant so you know they used to call them stewardess and yeah. so that also connected to when I was like eight, nine, ten years old as a boy. Sometimes she and my dad would take me to like Germany or England and France and Switzerland. So I, I was really fortunate to get some exposure to international cultures. Okay, so it sounds to to me like like you're a creative person. Indeed, yeah, yeah, yeah. So because as you know, you know, performing, dancing that that's all part of the um, creative arts, expressive arts, and so. 
you know, this seems like you, like you need to be into something where you're allowed to have some some creativity, you know, allowed to use your vision, you know, so, so to speak. Yes. And so teaching was somewhat fulfilling for, oh, maybe, you know, five to 10 years. And then, uh, but then that's when I would, uh, I mean, it was in my late, mid to late thirties when I started developing a drinking problem. Okay. And it didn't uh, occur to me right away. Or it didn't, you know, it took me a couple years to fully accept it and acknowledge that it was in fact a drinking problem. Like, oh, it was a couple years. It wasn't until like age 39. Just, yeah. just, you know, just a few years ago. I'm 44 now. Okay. So it was really just about five years ago when I started to come to terms with it. And okay. What started it? Well, um, for anyone out there that under, that's listening that understands addiction or alcoholism, I'll share that they're not going to be surprised to hear me mention the, the spiral effect. It, it spirals in you know an interesting way like you might not recognize it. Like I would have oh, two or three Bloody Marys, like after a long day, and then I'd coach the kids in soccer, youth basketball, whatever. And and so I was a functioning alcoholic where I, you know, kept my job and I didn't lose the wife and the house. Some people hit rock bottom and they lose everything. Yes. And, um, so I, but then I think those two to three Bloody Marys got stronger. So those three Bloody Marys actually equaled six or seven, you know, and it was, okay. Um, but, and then if you're, you know, I was enjoying drinking maybe six six days a week, sometimes seven. And so not getting drunk even just sort of like self-medicating and, uh, and, uh, you know, enjoying it and not thinking there was a problem. And, uh, yeah. So it sort of spirals to where you, you know, but you didn't even feel that drunk. So you feel like you can handle it and you get up and go to work the next day. And, but, um, it, uh, but you know, a few things do happen where it's like, um, uh, um, it becomes clear to you and that, uh, you know, like when your mom and dad say, oh gosh, I guess you have a problem, you know? So thank God, you know, family um, kept talking to me and helped me to realize I, you know, I had a problem with alcohol. Okay. Yeah. We, we, we dealt, dealt with that with my brother. Like he, he had, had a pretty, pretty bad issue. And, Remember, I was telling you yesterday, I lost my dad in uh, November of 2019. While dad was in the hospital, we almost lost my brother. You know, he had his, uh, something happened with his pancreas and he was leaking fluid into his stomach. And like, he had to have, have his stomach drained. Like he, he posted a picture that I hope I never see again, but it was like, like a a cup of just this dark, dark liquid. And they only gave him a 20% chance of survival, but he pulled through. (laughs) <laughs> you know, he pulled through and, but it was a wake up call for him just being that close. And the last thing he said to my dad before he passed, like he admitted that he was an alcoholic and that he was going to get help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, like I've seen that, I've seen that up, up front, like I've had my own, my own issues, you know, with self self medicating with, with alcohol, but it just never really got to a point to where it was, you know, like affecting anything. I was able to be like, all right, you know what? I need to settle down for a little bit here. So Yes, I, if I could jump in, I just remembered an, an important part of this journey that I guess I forgot about for a while, but, you know, how I came to really fully acknowledge the alcoholism and then to do something about it. And that was uh, personal development. I discovered, you know, I was in the library 
one day because I, I like to do audiobooks on my commute. I didn't, I would get tired of radio. And so I started doing audiobooks. And so I just happened to find myself in the personal development section one day, not really knowing what I was looking for, not looking for getting sober books or overcoming addiction. And I just happened to notice a book by Wayne Dyer. And I tried it. And and when he spoke to me, it was like the first time in my life I heard the truth, like the real truth about, you know, about how we think and how our brains work and psychology and, and living your life and then moral decisions and choices and, and, you know, like taking responsibility for your action and realizing what's true and then how to deal with it. So then I discovered like Tony Robbins and I mean, we, everyone knows about Tony Robbins, but uh, then I discovered Eckhart Tolle and, and uh, got into more personal development authors and personal transformation books where it was like, oh man, so awesome. So it's, you know, that like one section of the library, that genre of personal development, I, it, so many people need to discover that, 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 that genre. That's true. Have you heard of um, Eric Thomas speaking of speakers? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So he, I actually got trained in his speaker, his speaker boot camp. So that's, oh. yeah, that's where I got my, my formal training from, but he's, he's an amazing dude, but it was one of his videos that was kind of the turning point for, for me, his, his, uh, uh, UOU. If you haven't heard that one, you'll, you'll want to li listen to that one, but it's just, it's all about personal accountability, you know, cause like being, being a leader, it's very easy to point out other people's flaws, you know, but like you kind of miss your own. And that's one of those things that was happening happening to me it's like you know you got to do this you got to do this you got to do that and me meanwhile my world's crumbling and not really realizing it and so when i heard that video it's like it brought tears to my eyes you know because he, he's like you owe you an explanation like why are you not where you want to be you like, you got to look in that mirror you got to have that conversation with yourself you know it's like stop looking to your significant other stop doing this stop doing that he's like you owe you and i was like wow that just hit me like a ton of bricks like it, it changes your perspective of everything. Yes. Yes. And uh, so um, I can keep going if, if you don't mind with that Wayne Dyer part of my life. or, or yeah, did... Absolutely. Keep on going. Well, um, so I then um, got some of his books, uh, paperback and, you know, to read. And so I read all like all of his books over a two year period. Um, he wrote like 42 books and audio books and lectures. And um, so my personal transformation that during that midlife crisis of like getting sober, it was just so powerful and so wonderful, you know, going from stress level nine or 10 down to stress level zero and realizing um, that I, I can have a life purpose and that I can be like a volunteer for God, like a, an instrument of the universe and that I am love and peace and joy and that, you know, all the good things you want in life. And uh, it was, the transformation was so awesome that I realized, man, I could help others. So that's where I got the idea to write the, my book, my first book, 50 Days to a Better Life. And uh, that I realized I could write, you know, like everything I had learned, I thought I could just organize it the way I accepted it and appreciated it and, and, you know, like repurpose a lot of those lessons into my own little system of how it worked for me. And so I, it, and it wasn't even going to be 50 chapters, by the way, see the number 50. It was, it was started off as like 24 and then it was 32 and it kept growing the, Suddenly I was at 41 and 47 and it was like, I got to 49. I'm like, Oh man. All right. I could do one more. <laughs> this one more. nugget I can. And uh, yeah. So my book, my first book is all about like how to overcome alcoholism, how to overcome anxiety and depression, 
because it was a good 10 years of anxiety and depression also. Uh, so, um, yeah, um, that's, yeah, my first book, 50 Days to a Better Life. Thank you so much. No problem. Yes. All right. So let's talk about a little bit of the in-between time there. So you realize that you have a problem or people have told you, hey, you have a problem. When did it hit you that you had a problem? Man. Well, I feel like it wasn't like one revelation. I felt like it was when I heard Wayne Dyer speak on these audiobooks, I felt like I realized, oh, yes, you know, acknowledging it. It, it wasn't just a one-day revelation. It was kind of slow, but um, but I think from, like, recent events, like um, I was running for office, um, political office, like in my town, and I'd go to these, they'd have these, like, fundraisers and parties, so everyone running for office has a little fundraiser. They're, you know, announcing their campaign, and so... It was a city council seat here where I live north of Boston. And, uh, and so, oh, at one of those parties, I had too much to drink. And I, and then someone had an after party at their house and we went there and, and, um, I got so drunk that I like passed out in, in, under someone's bushes in the backyard. I went outside to maybe pee and I was like drunk under the bushes and they, you know, they got me back to the house, but I was like, so drunk slash asleep that they let me just sort of sober up on the couch. And so, you know, my wife woke up at probably like three or four in the morning and thought, wait, why is he not home? This is, so she called the police and we had a family friend that uh, had the ability to like, you know, find out where my cell phone was from the last ping Mm. to find the location. So by like five in the morning, you know, my wife and her best friend came to that house in the nearby town. And, you know, everyone was sort of asleep after the party, but um, and I woke up and it was, uh, well, I will say that, you know, alcoholism or other addictions, are, it's embarrassing. You know, it's not like a pretty transformation. Yeah. It's not all wonderful. It's, you know, it's embarrassing. There's a lot of fear and shame and I felt like a loser. And, uh, and, and especially when you're like, even like if your kid says something to you, like one of my kids said something brilliant one time about just really simple. He said, come on, dad, you know, better, you know, and it's like, you know, just rocks your world. So, um, yeah. Cause they, they see that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, but I think I thought I was pretty good at masking it for a while and thank God it wasn't like a 20 year problem. The alcoholism it was really just in my late thirties that it sort of spiraled and I had, like two or three of those things where I, um, you know, got too drunk and then, oh, well, we were at a wedding one time and I, you know, I had too much to drink and, and was trying to drive home and then the wife could tell I was drunk and so she was upset and then she said she needs to drive and I need to move over to the passenger seat and, uh, you know, we'd have a big fight and, uh, yeah, so, I mean, we almost got divorced, you know, she threatened to leave and, like, disappear with the kids and, so it's not pretty. Addiction and alcoholism is, it's, uh, I almost lost everything. I, I can see a lot of drunks do hit rock bottom and they lose their job and their house and their family and their spouse and um, children. So I, uh, by the grace of God, I did not lose everything. I, I was able to get sober and it's, um, I'm so grateful. That's the key word right there. Grateful. 
Yeah, and so, you know, the fear, the shame, and feeling like like a loser, that's probably why a lot of people don't speak on it. And that's why they they hide. They hide it, you know? So which is what, why I wanted to go deeper deeper into, you know, like how, how you got there in the first place to how you pulled yourself out of it. And so, you know, thank you for, for you know, being vulnerable there and just show, showing, you know, just that, that raw emotion of what was going through. But like I was saying yesterday when we were talking – that's why I like it to be raw, you know, because like I want I want the, the true emotions to, to come out because that's what the people listening, that's what they're going to cling to. You know, it's like, yeah, people people love people's success, but, you know, the, the magic is in the journey. You know, it's like, how did you take that mess and then turn it into something amazing that other people can learn and benefit from? You know, I'll just share, too. I just remembered, you know, because you asked a good question about how did you. Like realize it. When did you realize? Like, um, and you know what's funny is that uh, there was a time period. There must have been a few months where I knew that I had a drinking problem. I knew that I was a drunk, and yet I kept drinking. Mm. That was and so. And to give an, a story that's you know it's almost embarrassing, but I don't I don't mind sharing in case someone might you know like hear this and say, oh my god, I do the same thing, or um, or my brother does, or whoever. Um, that so. When I was in the sort of depths of the addiction, uh, the alcoholism, I would, I would sneak it. I would sneak around and I would hide the um, drinking. So, like, I would, if I had to do something as a dad, like bring my kid to basketball practice. Like, I coached my kids when they were little for like eight years, but then by the time they were like middle school age, I, um, they don't need as many coaches. And and if it's the higher level, like travel basketball, then. Uh, you know, there's good coaches that really know what they're doing. And so I could just be a dad and bring um, the kiddo. So I would drop my kiddo off at basketball practice and go to the nearby bar and quickly drink like three drinks and then head back to basketball practice. You know, and I'd have mouthwash or uh, Axe body spray or perfume to, you know, cover it up. And, uh, and uh, yeah, or sometimes I'd, uh, I'd um, like reuse my like coffee cup from the going through the drive through and then I'd fill it with ice cubes and, you know, a whole lot of vodka and fruit punch or something and have it in the car with me. So mm. it was like, you know, self-medicating, like either on the way to basketball practice or on the way back so that I could have the drinks where I wasn't in the house and the wife didn't see it. I was, you know, it was in my like coffee cup in the car. And so she wouldn't see it. And I, I was able to like get the alcohol in without the wife seeing me drink at home. So it was a few months of shame and hiding it sneaking around yeah yeah i remember once with my with my brother my son had a football game and my brother came to the game and he's got a water bottle you know he's, he's drinking we're watching a game and as the game goes on he's starting to like speak out you know more during the game and i'm looking i'm looking at it like the eyes are a little, little glossy right and i grab his water bottle it's filled with vodka it was nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> it was filled with vodka. I was like, wow. I was like, dude, I was like, you got to do something. It's like everyone in our family drinks, but like you're on a different level, you know, completely different level. And, and he just got so sick of us getting on him because, you know, my parents were on him because he lived diagonal from me and my sister lived behind him. So she and I were constantly on, on him because like, you see him out there at 10 o'clock in the morning bottle of vodka like water in his garden and stuff and and uh he's a phenomenal chef 
Like, like he can do some really, really good stuff when he's sober, you know. But like I said, that situation with with my dad, like he's been doing well, and he and his wife they actually just adopted a baby. Yeah, because you know they they were having uh, fertility issues, so they they at least fi- finally became parents. But I'm just glad that he's he's sober enough now to where he can be a parent. You know, so so getting so getting clean is is amazing. And again, hats off to, to you for for turning it around. Yes. And okay, I, so, I, let me just say one more thing about personal development that uh, yeah. I, like I was so happy to discover that section in the library. And uh, because I went to some AA meetings and I think AA Alcoholics Anonymous might work for some people. And it's really a great program. It's helped millions of people. And so I went to some and. Uh, but I don't know, perhaps it was just the guys I was in the meetings. It was a lot of, um, it was, it was really like stark and hard and serious. And like the, the solutions were pretty much just don't drink, just don't drink, just don't drink. And it was, I, I felt like I needed more. I'm like, wait a second. I had so many questions and then I would ask questions in the meetings and it wasn't like, you know, they, they maybe the, they didn't take the time to go into the psychology behind addiction. And so I guess I was craving to learn more and discovered Wayne Dyer. And then I, I got to learn a lot more. So, you know, so AA might not work for everybody. So if anyone listening to this is, has been going to AA meetings, but they still have addiction issues or they're still a drunk or a drug addict that, you know, I would just encourage you to try other options. And there are authors out there. And for me, it was Dr. Wayne Dyer. And I read all of his books and, it was like the truth, you know, like, oh, my God, like, yeah, oh, my God. It was the first time in my life I heard the truth. Yeah. So now with a type of addiction with my fitness clients, and that's sugar. You know, because sugar, sugar is also an addiction because pe- people don't realize, like, if you have too much sugar, like, it can kill you. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like sugar, sugar is nothing to really play around with. But I tell people you need it you need a different outlet it's like that's what it boils down to i feel like if you're trying to quit smoking you know drinking drugs you're turning to it as an outlet like you said several times now about self-medicating so like i tell tell people if you're having a bad day and you're using a hershey a hershey's bar to calm down you know you you have to shift the outlet to calm you down because everyone's gonna deal with stress at some point like no nobody's got a cushy cushy easy life you know even sure even so, Tom Brady, I'm sure he's got mo- moments where his wife wants to strangle him. Like, we all we all have those moments. But it's how do you deal with it in those moments is what's go- going to help gonna help you be successful with battling addiction. Excellent. Excellent. So um, I, I know we are on a time frame, so I don't want to um, derail you or, or uh, take you further down to you – know, I know we have goals to, to for today's podcast. So, yeah. um, so, so for this one moving forward, so now, so now you beat the addiction. So now what's the next steps from there? Ah, right. Okay. Well, I started uh, writing in 2015. I was upset with, um, racism in America. Okay. And, uh, that was after 2014 was Mike Brown fatally shot and killed in Ferguson, Missouri. And then the aftermath in the turmoil Ferguson and I was upset and uh, I had been for a long time African-American studies was my minor in college and I um so I've been a student of African-American history you know going back to the colonialism period in Africa to the transatlantic slave trade and yeah and, uh, it was all 
I feel very connected to history. So I've tried to like actually imagine like what it must have been like for an enslaved person in Georgia in 1724. And yeah. and I've tried to think of it. It's just so violent and disturbing and upsetting that it's like, oh my God, after a minute, you can't even, oh my God, I can't even. So, um, yeah, so I kind of turned to God and I asked God a big question. Can I, a really big question. Can I end racism in America? Mm-hmm. But But it was too big. It was... It was, um, you know, it's, it's uh, there's, it's too big for just one person. So, so I, I started to think in realistic terms, like, okay, what can I really do with my life? Uh, uh, but at the same time, I'm getting sober. And so I'm dealing with depression and anxiety. So I'm in my classroom crying as a teacher. I mean, after the kids leave uh, <laughs> at the end of the school day, or I'm driving home in my car, just like tears, crying, like three days a week, powerful, the pain and suffering, um, not happy at my job. Plus I was butting heads with my principal. So I thought I was going to get fired. And, you know, I, as a teacher, I, but here in Massachusetts, we have the, the salaries are pretty decent. And it was like, um, and I had been fired by the way, from a few jobs when I was in my twenties, when I was in New York city, trying to be an actor. And, um, so I had this history of getting fired from jobs. So I had this fear of like losing this teacher job, which was good money and healthcare. And we had you know, two little kids or one was a baby at the time. And uh, so I just didn't want to lose my job. And so I became a doormat. I started like allowing others to bully me. And so I would allow um, administrators in my school district to like basically sort of be abusive towards me. I would somehow seek out bullies and I would, I would just apologize and capitulate and roll over and, Oh, I'm sorry. And I was just so afraid of getting fired. Mm. So, um, but I think at that time, 2015, I, I was so afraid of getting fired and had this idea for writing the book on, you know, how to get sober and, and was, um, also wanting to like go after my dreams, which was this like idea of like, what can I do to, for like my black community in Boston? Uh, Or, um, can I build like a youth center for underprivileged kids, young people of color in the city? Um. And I felt like I had this big life purpose. And I had this idea for a dance studio for uh, black and brown girls, young women of color. I mean, boys too, of course, but, um, but I, you know, I wanted it to be like a charity or a nonprofit. So it's low cost or affordable or even free. And uh, so I had these ideas, but I was at this job and I was crying three days a week and butting heads with my principal thinking I'm going to be fired. And it wasn't just an aberration he had fired two or three teachers like every year before that year. So he was kind of on a war path and a lot of other people felt the same way that he was a bully. And, and anyway, so it's, um, I, I feel like it was the universe or God, like giving me all of this at the, at the same time to be like, yes, go write the book. Yes. And you can do a one year sabbatical. You can, you know, I thought rather than get fired, I thought, Oh, I could request a sabbatical and, and sort of manufacture this like well, a book tour. And I could drive across America like my mentor Wayne Dyer did. And so Dr. Wayne Dyer did this with his first bestseller in 1976, Your Erroneous Zones, his first major book. And he drove across America and got on like radio stations. And I thought I could do the same thing. So I planned out this whole thing. And so this is um, 2019. See, just two years ago that I bought a van and I drove across America. Wow. So I drove from Boston to Los Angeles and back. And I got on some TV morning talk shows, like with my book and, you know, I'm Adam Chaka and this is my book and how to overcome alcoholism. And, um, 
but I didn't have much money in savings. And I still, even I was taking a one year sabbatical from teaching, but I wasn't getting paid. So it was like dipping into my ret- retirement to pay all the bills. Gotcha. And the wife was worried I was going to leave my job. And uh, so I, but I had to do it. I was like, oh my God, I got to do this. And, you know, get me out of the, the school situation where I thought I was about to be fired. And I could also, you know, go on this path of uh, being an author and, and, uh, but so for the book where I realized I can't stay in a hotel every night, that would be too expensive as I drove across America. Yeah. So I realized I could do the RV thing. So I bought a van and I was sleeping in the back of the van in, I was sleeping in Walmart parking lots. That's brave. Just two years ago. This is 2019. And so I'm sleeping in Walmart parking lots as I drive across America. And I got like a Planet Fitness membership so I could have a shower every day at a, you know, they're everywhere, of course, Planet yep. Fitness. <laughs> and then I also got a 24-hour fitness club membership because some cities actually don't have a Planet Fitness, believe it or not. So um, so I got on five TV morning talk shows and, you know, I just made, kept calling and um, sometimes just even a few days before arriving in the city. And uh, so my first show was in Memphis, Tennessee, and... Uh, and I kept emailing and calling and I booked some more appointments and, you know, and I was, I didn't give them a big window. It was kind of like, you know, I'll be in uh, uh, Fort Smith, like um, near Oklahoma or Arkansas, like on this day, like November 7th. And, you know, you know any chance you want to have me on your show? And I would share a bit of the mission. And um, so thank God I got booked on some. I think I would have felt like a loser if I didn't get on any of these. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, um, right. So I did that and, and, th- you know, I felt really fortunate to be able to take a su- one year sabbatical from teaching because, you know, not every job allows you to like take a year off and sure you can come back in a year with the same pay. Okay. Not, not every job, no other job. <laughs> good point. Good point. So, uh, all right. All right. So, so tie it back in. Cause you started talking about helping young underprivileged girls you know, and boys. And then you started talking about the driving across the country, right? Where did the two correlate? Right. So, well, I had the dance studio idea actually since 2015, but it was like, how do I make it happen? And so one of the lessons of the personal transformation was that I must advance confidently in the direction of my dreams. And so Everything I do now, every single day, I just keep advancing confidently in the direction of my dreams. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the first chapter of my book is uh, um, that you don't have to know how it's all going to happen. You just need to say yes. Fact. So you don't have to know how it shall all come to be. You just need to say yes, yes, yes. I'm doing this. I'm going after my dreams. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I... I was building these, uh, I mean, writing these ideas down slowly, bit by bit, and um, um, it, it, it really grew and grew. I realized that I could, um, well, Goethe, the um, famous philosopher, um, Johann von Goethe, several hundred years ago, wrote, uh, dream no small dreams, for they don't have the power to inspire the hearts of man. So I realized, ah, yes, I can't have a small dream. It's not going to like be powerful enough to inspire others to help me with this mission. And so I was, I dreamed big and I asked big. And that's another chapter in my book about thinking big. And um, so I realized, how can I really have an impact and help like thousands of uh, black and brown girls, young women of color, 
And and because I, you know, I focused on girls also because I saw in sports, um, like when my boys started doing AAU basketball, I'd go into Boston for tournaments and I'd see like a basketball team with like 13 black and brown boys. And I thought, it's wonderful. It's, they got like three coaches. It's well organized. I realized it's enrichment because it's after school and it's like character development. You know, these boys will learn how to be young men because you're listening to your coach and paying attention and follow along, and uh, pass the ball and do the plays. And, yeah. And same thing in Pop Warner football. Sometimes we're in the suburbs, so our boys would play football teams with 45 little white boys. But sometimes we'd go down and play a team near Boston and I'd see a football team with like 47 black and brown boys. And yeah. I thought this is fantastic. They had like 10 coaches. Uniforms look amazing. It was well organized. But I was thinking, what about the girls? Okay, fine. So what are black and brown girls doing? Young women of color. And uh, so I did some research on and, you know, realized, oh, yeah, a lot of girls do cheer and gymnastics and dance. And uh, and I just discovered the popularity of hip hop dance, especially in the South. Um, that show, Miss Diana had the dancing dolls. And there's uh, and it's big at colleges with the marching bands and cheer squad and dance teams. And so I thought, do we have this in Boston? And so I went and looked all before COVID. And, you know, in the suburbs, we have like 20-something dance studios in Boston. But in the suburbs, it's like 100 little white girls. Okay, fine. It's a dance studio. It's an operation. Moms and dads pay. Do we have this for our black and brown neighborhoods in Boston? And I found two or three, but they were shut down. They went out of business. And, and I found two open, but they were really small. It was nothing like what I saw in the South with the, 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 the you know, robust programming, like two days a week and servicing hundreds of girls. Again, how can it be low cost, affordable? And then I realized, oh, it has to be in our communities of color. I don't want it to be like in some cities downtown with the skyscrapers. Yeah. Some pretty location. No, it needs to be convenient for, for black and brown moms and dads. And, uh, and so I started to realize I, um, I could um, build a big company and I could do this in Baltimore and DC and Charlotte and Atlanta and Chicago and Detroit. And so I kept thinking, how, how many can I do? I wasn't happy with 10, 11, 12. But one day in a meditation, it hit me the number 14. And I'm like, yes, that's it. Okay, I'm happy with that. Over the next 20 years, sure, okay, I'm a man of action. I can do this. So I'm building 14 dance studios in 14 major American cities. Uh, it's all in the book. This is now my second book, 50 Days to a Better Investment. Yes. And, uh, yeah, so it's um, – and then I've, I've got this plan for building like a media empire so we can make millions and, and then build the dance studios and – and then let's do college scholarships for the girls um, and the dancers in the program. And uh, so I realized I'm building kind of like Newman's own, you know, Paul Newman with the pizza. Yeah. Yep. And the salad dressing and the lemonade yeah, the dressing. <laughs> yeah. And you can picture Paul Newman's face on the cover. And uh, so on the pizza box, it says hundred percent of profits go to charity. So I've, I've been writing these ideas down for film, TV, movies, um, and wanting my own show, like thinking, how can I like manifest, I grew up loving Johnny Carson and Jay Leno, you know, connecting back to my theater. I sing and dance and, and I, I love sketch comedy and I've got some characters I do in funny voices. And so that, that was another sort of separate dream. And I realized I can, I can do it all rather than go to Los Angeles and just make millions and be a star. I thought, wait, I could just build a company around me. Let's just build a media empire, make millions. Great. But then I don't keep it. I let it all go to the girls, go to the dance studios and, um, and then we can build them in Baltimore and D.C. and Philly and, and, and Jackson, Mississippi and Houston, Texas. And so, um, yeah, so this is all in the book. And, you know, I realized it's a, a, a cool world that's really interesting with, like, Instagram. I realized I could start DMing, like, 
So I started January 1st, Rihanna and J-Lo and Beyonce and Little Kim. <laughs> but I, I don't think they're going to see my DM. So <laughs> Yeah, no, they're, I'm sure they had people that monitor those, those accounts. <laughs> so, so a few weeks ago, I, I did a pivot and I thought, okay, fine. How about I just find like bloggers and influencers on Instagram? Like, you know, there's amazing people doing some great stuff that are, um, if I could make new friends on Instagram and then we go Instagram live together. And, you know, I just keep like reaching out to like different audiences and um, networking and I, I can see it happening. I feel like, you know, in a year or something, a couple of months, I'm going to be on the phone with Alicia Keys or uh, Miss Lauren Hill or Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith. And, mm-hmm. and they're like, yes, Adam. Yes, yes, yes. Oh my God. Here's a check for 4 million. Let's do this. Let's do this. So, um, um, can I just say, so, Whenever, whenever people talk about about racism or you know helping helping the, the the black community or whatever else, it's never like this. I think this is is awesome. How you just want to take action and do something to help. Because like when when I speak out on it, and again, most of the schools are closed now. But I was going around to schools and talking to the students and letting them know, yes, there are mountains all over this world, but you have the strength to climb them no matter what gets in your way, you know? So like I would have my stance and then people would be like, oh, you don't get it. You don't know what it's like. I'm like, I'm talking in schools. I'm talking to the kids. I'm like, the kids are receiving that message. You know, it's like you got the media and the politicians and everybody else telling them that they have no chances or they're behind the eight ball. And some of it might might be true depending on, on the circumstance, but with the right focus, you can overcome anything. Mm-hmm. Anything, and that goes for all races, genders, religions, everything. Oh, you know, you have that power, but I just love the fact that you're taking a stance and you have a vision to do something that will make actual change in those communities. So I, I commend you for that. So um, I know you, I know you got to go, and so I said we'll de- we'll definitely have you back on again in April, and we'll get to the second part of the story and your second book and all that good stuff. So Excellent. just uh, give us a final word. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, thank you. I, I guess one thing I, I'll mention, uh, if people are interested in that first book, uh, The 50 Days to a Better Life, um, something I didn't really talk about is that I I had a spiritual awakening also. So I recognized my soul within. I had never, I mean, I had been a Catholic for 20-something years and praying, but I never felt like God within me. And uh, so that was really powerful, too, to realize, oh, that we have a soul, we have a spirit. You know, we're not just like um, uh, animals walking around Earth that that uh, we've got that sort of, you know, that energy within each of us. That uh, So it was really um, God, too, that, um, you know, is in me, it's in you, and, and how it comes out, it's, I don't know, it's important for us to, you know, try to be in service to others. So that was yes. a big part of this. Yeah, thank you so much, Robert. My pleasure. All right, sir. Have yourself a great day. Thank you. Thank you for joining. You too. All right, take care. All right, so that was Adam Chaka, you know, giving us some knowledge. So we have a we have a few few minutes to go, so I'll finish it up solo. Right, so if you're just tuning in, so Adam was sharing his story about how he overcame alcohol addiction, and then how he pivoted and realized that he had he has a passion for trying to help the the, the black community and people who are, who are disadvantaged. And so he had a minor in African-American studies, so he's got a pretty strong background in, in that history. So 
I think it's it's amazing what his long term vision is, is that he wants to bring dance studios into urban communities that don't currently have have them available. So he's up in the northern uh, north of Boston area, and he said that he did some some research in the Boston area to see what's out there, you know, to help to help people in those communities. And so he's got got a vision of opening up fourteen dance studios that will be affordable and easy to get to for people in these communities and to give these kids an outlet. So whenever we talk about, you know, race, racism and injustices and all that stuff, see this, these are the types of things that's going to spark true change, these types of actions. So we all know what happened in the past and all these talks just keep talking about what happened in the past. Like we get it, we understand it. It sucks, but we ain't there now. Now we have the power to create actual change. So instead of regurgitating the same stuff over and over and over, it's things like that. Things like I get up on this on this show and I voice my, my opinions and I voice my experiences and I urge people to just put put the not really put the blinders on but just embrace who you are find out what it is you want to get and do what it takes to get there if you have to walk through mountains to make it happen then that's what you got to do you walk through mountains but then you celebrate the journey okay we don't we don't complain about the process celebrate the journey be like this is what i had to do and i got there and you can get there too that's that message that we want to send to the next generation. Because if we just feed them the same stuff that we've been feeding, we're going to get the same results. And this problem is going to continue for hundreds and hundreds of years. But we have the we have the power now to shape those younger minds so they can grow up stronger. They can grow up with better self-esteem. They can grow up confident, growing up knowing that they have the power to overcome absolutely everything that they may be facing in this life. So I want to leave you on that. Just remember, if you want to support the show, if it's on your heart, you got plans starting out at just a dollar a month, one dollar. And that's going to help me translate these videos so we can distribute it around the world. Because no matter where you live, people want to step into their greatness. People want to be happy. People need to hear a message of hope. And that's what these videos and these episodes are designed to do is to get people feeling hopeful, help them fuel their belief system, help them turn their mess into a powerful message that can inspire other people and give them financial stability. So remember, we have Grind Gear now. And so I said I was going to make an easier to remember link. So I did. It's shutupandgrindgear.com. And I just got two new designs done so that they're, they're going to be updated in the store as well. So if you need that reminder, just go in, get that grind gear, wear it proudly. And, you know, there's no links on that gear either. That's for you. So whoever, whoever buys this gear, that's a reminder for you. And to let everyone else know around there that you ain't playing, that you're, you're ready to just shut up and grind and make stuff happen. All right. So and the last part is the Facebook group. So it's uh, speakaboutyourself.com. So kind of how Adam came on here today and he shared his journey. See, like that's a story. And what he shared has the power to inspire someone else that might be going through the same issues now with addiction. And so if you have things inside of you, 
but you don't know how to put it into words or how, how to speak about it, join that group, okay? Speakaboutyourself.com. Because that is where, oh, I thought I had a link for it. I don't. All right, because that's where we're, we're going to show you how to unpackage it step-by-step. Step. There's multiple modules, and we're going to take you step-by-step. Step. And you can even up, upgrade if you want live coaching with me. Okay, okay we, we can uh, upgrade into a, uh, a, paid, a paid private group. And that's where I will take you step-by-step, step and we'll map out your story. Because as I do with everyone who comes here, I take notes as they speak. Because sometimes you say things that's so powerful and you don't even realize it because it's just a part of what you do or what you've been through. Like you don't realize the strength that's in your stories. And so I will help you pull those stories out of you and then show you how you can use them to inspire other people. So again, that's speakaboutyourself.com and request to join the group. If you request, you got to answer the three questions. If you don't answer the three questions, I'm not putting you in the group. Okay, so make sure you do that. All right, guys, have yourselves a great day. And I'm actually back tomorrow at 4 p.m. because my guests will be joining me from Australia. So I shifted up the time some so they, they didn't have to get up at 2 in the morning, you know, to meet, to meet the time difference. It's like a 16-hour time difference. All right, so I'll be back tomorrow night, 4 p.m. Guys, have a great day. You've been listening to Shut Up and Grind. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. Robert has over 20 years experience pouring his knowledge and expertise at many events in the service and fitness industry, as well as secondary schools and universities. He has a true passion for helping others break through the barriers that are holding them back. To book Robert B. Foster to speak or to reach out, go to robertbfoster.com slash speaks on Instagram at robert underscore b underscore foster on Twitter at RBF underscore fitness and on Facebook at Robert B. Foster. Till next time, shut up and grind.